it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like Sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From Variety, celebrating more than 118 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. Oscar-nominated cinematographer Matthew Libatique has now worked on both A Star is Born and Maestro with filmmaker star Bradley Cooper, and a friendship has grown along a side bat. When you have a friendship with a director, it just becomes easier to discuss things. You're not scheduling time, you know? You're just calling, or you're texting, or, you know, we could, I could have an idea about whatever, and I could hit him up with it today when I get out of here. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this episode of the award-winning Variety Award Circuit Podcast, we talk to Matthew Libatique about his latest Oscar nomination and collaborating again with Bradley Cooper on Maestro. Also on this episode, The Roundtable discusses the best actress race, what TV shows they've been watching, and more. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Hey, everyone. It is Variety TV editor Michael Schneider, and look who I'm with. It's my banter buddies right here. Let's get shirts. Banter buddies. <laughs> banter buddies. BBs. Hello, hello, Janelle Riley. Hey, good morning. Good morning or afternoon, or maybe it's three it's in the morning so when someone's listening to this. Anytime. <laughs> Jazz Tanke. Hello. Sporting a Lakers hat. Lakers Nation. Go Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> and Sea Dog, Clayton Davis. I don't have my Yankees hat on, but it's in my heart. By the way, I'm not I'm not following the sports ball of it all, but um, Wilbur's babysitter did send him a photo, send me a photo of him and I guess in a Niners jersey. And uh, his dad was very upset. <laughs> Why should he be a Chiefs fan? Or? I, I don't know all the uh, the teams and the names and the mascots, but apparently this was a declaration of war. Uh, I, ma- I imagine Janelle being like the, the episode of South Park when they say shooty hoops. What's that? <laughs> That's what he calls it. The guy who doesn't know shooty the name hoops. of the sport. He's Basketball. like, I don't know. You're not going to play shooty hoops. <laughs> <laughs> that literally. Now I know how um, my friends feel when I'm talking about movies. Because it's just like names, 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 mm. blah, blah, blah. And they just nod blankly. And oh, So from what we've gathered now, uh, Taylor can perform in Tokyo the night before the Super Bowl. I'm so glad people hop became on, mathematicians that Hop fast. on her, her private jet, get to, to Vegas, and it's still Saturday night. She has got plenty. She could still like be well rested at the Super Bowl the next day. So Wait, actually, did you see the extra stuff, though, that everyone started buying tickets to Disneyland? The Why? next day, because the winning team usually goes to Disneyland oh. after the Super Bowl, so they bought tickets to Disneyland, thinking that Taylor's going to go to that. <laughs> and I was like, "Guys, I promise you, if she's well, going to Disneyland, she will have a special tour." Yeah, and not 
walk among among you. Yeah, she'll be <laughs> yes. She's not yeah. going to be standing yeah. in line in front of you at uh, Space Mountain. I got a fast pass. Yeah. She'll yeah. be using the lightning. <laughs> But uh, oh, that's right. They don't have fast pass anymore. No, it's, it's lightning, lightning lanes. It's uh, yeah. So much has changed. I still um, haven't been to Disneyland yet. Oh my god, it's just too weird for me. And I, I, I love Disney World, and I just know it's going to pale in comparison. Well, it's, so. it's smaller. It's yeah. Just, oh, yeah. Well, sorry, it's a we different don't have Epcot Center with sodas from around the world. <laughs> Magic Kingdom. Right? You know, I've never been to Knott's Berry Farm. Believe Same. it or not, I've not either. I mean, I I've went... lived here for twenty-seven years, so you'd <laughs> think at one point I would have. I went for one of those, not Halloween Horror Nights, but whatever Knott's uh, shady equivalent is. And <laughs> not, not Shady Farm, I think is what it is. <laughs> all I remember is the uh, the worst magician I've ever seen. And remember, I went through a magician phase, so I've seen a few. Should we do a field trip one day to like record the podcast wait, uh, from wait, Knott's Berry I, Farm? I'm, I'm really curious about this magician phase. Oh, yes. I, I, that you were dating magicians or that uh, you were yeah, a magician? I was, I was pretty much, yeah, like the barfly at the Magic Castle picking up magicians. Wow. I, I like how Janelle was just like, I know, remember, it, it, I went to my... So casual. You, you know, guys knew anything about my other life. I do happen to be an award-winning playwright. <laughs> one of my uh, early plays was called Dark Magique. And it was all about... It was it was based on the idea. It was when uh, The Prestige came out at the same time as The Illusionist. Yes. Um, yeah. And it was like there were all these magician movies. So I started doing a weekly serialized late-night comedy at my theater company about the world's worst magician. And we had Ryan Gosling come in one time. He was a guest on it. Yeah, like all sorts. Jenna, Jenna uh, Fisher from The Office came, Jennifer Morrison. Like it, it ran for like two years wow. and took up a big chunk of my life all over this like throwaway joke that there were too many magician movies. And to bring it full circle, The Prestige was directed by Christopher Nolan, who's probably winning an Oscar this year. And The Illusionist starred Paul Giamatti. Oh, it oh, all fun. comes yes. full circle. Yes. And then poof, it just disappeared. And like that. <laughs> it's gone. By the way, I love both those movies and they're very different. And I've asked people involved with each movie, oh, have you seen – like I remember asking Nolan at the time, have you seen The Illusionist? He's like, no, specifically because when people ask me, I want to be able to I say I haven't seen it. Yeah. So they won't accuse me of like lifting from it. I wonder I, if he's seen it now. I want, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. I'm sure it's Still doesn't have a cell phone, so – Wait, he doesn't? He doesn't, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I I don't buy it in terms of like, I'm sure no. he doesn't. I'm sure, I'm sure someone around him oh, has, his a yeah. his yeah. Yeah. has a cell phone. His wife has a cell phone. Yeah, she's yeah. on the opposite Because he's just never by himself, chain. I guess. So. Yeah, but no, he is. He's not on TikTok? He's, <laughs> not, on, he's not on TikTok. Oh, TikTok. <laughs> Sorry, I'm very distraught over. I try to do a TikTok and I just don't know what I'm doing. There's about to be like a billion muted videos because of the music licensing deal that's about to expire yeah. oh, that's right. as of February 1st. If they don't come to a deal, that is, then wow. all, a lot of a lot of stuff is going to be muted. How will people find music? How will people discover music well, if it's not on TikTok? Way. Well, it's just going to be all those viral videos that people did dances to. It's just going to be like them moving. Dancing, dancing to nothing. Dancing, dancing to nothing. That's why I make all my own music. Exactly. <laughs> that's why we're original. Make Mike's the musician. kind of music. Yes, that's why I beatbox in all of my TikTok videos. Oh, my God. You're so white. <laughs> so can I uh, – this question for the group, and I've just been uh, assessing the lay of the land – and yeah. I'm sure you guys have all gotten your own calls to speak on the egregious, quote unquote, snub of Greta Gerwig and Best Director. Do you think it's got it's having an adverse effect now? Um, I think that things have as, as the cyclical nature of these things, it's kind of come back around, and, and now maybe people are like, "Hey, like, let's it's, see. it's okay." By the way, there was a barbecue and A last night, and I think. Um, 
Margot Robbie kind of addressed this and, and wanted to make it clear that she was so thrilled with the eight nominations they did receive. That's a good move. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. No, she's, yeah. you know, that woman is all class. I think the dust is selling, though, on that. Yeah, it'll, yeah. It's going to go back and forth a few times. And yeah, I did see someone who was like, as a Barbie fan, you guys are making it really hard for me. Yeah. like, it, 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 But it's it, great that people are passionate. Yeah. It is, but it's also like they still got nominated. Yeah, like that, and that, I think mean, that's I, where that the argument gets lost. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and I was trying to explain to some normies this weekend who were like, "But the thing is, because I said like, look, I'm really unhappy that Greta Lee wasn't nominated for Past Lives, but I understand there's only five slots." And they were like, "Yeah, but nobody saw Past Lives. People saw Barbie and chose not to vote for it." And, and that, I was like, "That's well, the problem." I mean, that's you've just kind of made the point. Yeah. Like, yeah. People are going to do what they want to do. I was having a really good discussion with Adam Barry, one of our colleagues here, and he actually said it probably better than I ever could. This is a new generation of young people that are invested into the Oscars that haven't been invested before and don't understand how it works. So I think they really thought, like, there's no way. This is their dark night. Like, And I, I remember reading somewhere. People were saying that, like, oh, Nolan fans would have been upset if he got snubbed for the, for Oppenheimer. And I was like, were you around for, like, yep, Dark Knight, Inception? Yeah. Like, yep. that's all people talked about. This was, is only uh, his second director nomination. I know. I, I was like, this that. is all yeah. they talked about. Yeah. So I get it. Like, but it's that new generation that, does, like, top five of anything's really hard to, to get. Any, yeah. How many of you were top five of your graduating class? Anyone? Well, I don't want to brag. But, uh, hey, were you really? No, I was busy off chasing the oh, magicians. Okay. <laughs> of course, I didn't have time to study. I was, I was, I was top five. Were you really? Yeah. Oh, I knew you were. Oh, a wonderful you little white guy at the table. I was a sal- <laughs> salute. Was a loser. I was just, what is that, like, second runner-up? He was first loser. I was, wow. uh, <laughs> there you go. I was runner-up in life. Oh, oh my God. I didn't know you were salutatorian. Yeah, I did a speech your, at yeah, graduation. You did a speech as the salutatorian? Yeah, salutatorian. Is it, it's on YouTube. No, you we could even our watch valedictorian it. didn't even give a speech. We had a competition to see who got to speak. What? Yeah. Oh, that's... Terrible. My school was messed up in so many. Also, there were people. Did you have the National Honor Society that yeah. got to wear special robes? Yeah, which I always thought was effed up. Oh, I thought that was fine. No, you're all to... graduating together. You've all made the same accomplishment. Why does a certain amount of people the get nicer? The biggest thing robes? we were not allowed to throw our hats at the end of graduation. We were forbidden. <laughs> mm. oh, they I... said this is for your parents, not for you. They paid for you to come here. Oh my Do gosh. not throw your hats. And we were like, are you like, was that like a safety thing? They just yeah, didn't want to know. No, no, they, like it was, it was a principal at the time. Like just had this thing about it. Like it's really disrespectful. Like this is not a party. Did you do they, it anyway? They, no, they, they, they threatened us. They said, if you throw your hat, it will be quite some time before I hand you your diploma. Oh, do not throw crazy. your hat. And we didn't throw our hats. Wow. We were petrified. I think they did the same thing with us too. Really? They're like, allowed? yeah, yeah. You like, you weren't going to get your diploma if you threw it in the air. Like, so, I, I don't know why. Like, what, it's, just, wow. it's just throwing the hat. You know, it was one one last, like, you know, we still own you moment. Uh, yeah. It was like the Did authority you go to saying, or no. Was it, a public school? it was a public school. Oh, so I don't know why you were scared. You then. went to a Catholic school? I went to a Catholic okay. school. So, oh, I can see that. Then. So that, that, was, yeah. that was the whole thing. They, they paid for you to come here. It was $3,650 a year tuition. I remember that. And oh that's so cheap now. <laughs> I would give anything. To... I just had visions of. When you said you went to Catholic school, and you've said this many times, mm-hmm. but I just had visions of like um, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Meryl Streep like running your school. Oh, and for doubt. Some yeah. Reason. yeah, we had brothers uh, at our at ours, not uh, nuns and, and okay. priests. But I went to Catholic school most of my life. But yes, I somebody just thought of in the moment. But back to Greta Gerwig, right? Because all about Catholic school, Lady Bird. <laughs> 
That's why I feel very seen in Lady Bird. Um, You brought it back around. I appreciate it. Brought it around. No, no. I I think uh, I think there seems to be a feeling of like like that. Uh, like okay, guys, like enough already. So I think hearing that Margot addressed it yesterday at the Q and A, mm. I think is already a good sign. Like maybe okay, they got wind of that. Let's all put it put it down now. It's okay. It's eight nominations. It's a miracle it got eight nominations. My whole column this week, inspired by Janelle Riley here, is about guys. You don't understand how it's a miracle it got eight nominations. And I literally went through history. Highest grossing film of the year, uh, a comedy at that, and an actor turned director. They don't don't get that many nominations. And there you go. So it actually overperformed. It It actually, it actually, I mean, yeah. yeah. It really did. If you really go back and you think about when Barbie came out, would anyone have predicted eight Oscar nominations, including Best Picture? It's the best showing of, of an actor turned director since... Bradley Cooper was Star is Born, mm-hmm. which also got eight nominations, coincidentally. Um, the highest grossing film. And of also the, one song. Which also one be. song, which also might be the case. Um, highest grossing film. The last highest grossing film to get nominated for picture and director was Avatar, James Cameron, wow. 2009. Wow, that's so long that's ago. So and then the last – and if you look for the comedy list going through the top 100 comedies, highest grossing, picture and director, you have to go back to 1982, Tootsie. Sydney Pollack. That oh, is love crazy. It's such a good movie. Thanks. I love Tootsie. You know, the Tootsie. the other thing that you keep hearing people still complain about even now is, well, you know, how, how come these films are nominated but the directors aren't? Because one has they, ten and one has five. It's math. Well, exactly. It's math. <laughs> I, we're but just so, having a discussion this morning about so, how yeah. much I hate math, but, but so, it's math. Yeah. so many people don't get the math. It's like, well, how, you know, how was the movie directed by itself? Well, like, there's five, five of them there home. that yeah. actually have that yeah. same story. Yeah. But also, and, and I just... I and maybe this is a hot take. I think this best picture lineup of ten, arguably the best lineup the Academy has assembled since 1997. There's no grace. I agree. And, and that's I what I said. And I look at director. I'm like, no notes. Like, tell me. T- all right, you can get mad about Greta. Tell me who you take out of that lineup. No one. I mean, I have my personal I mean, yeah, feelings, may, but may, yeah, but I but, but like, I also recognize that. Also, I don't think people understand that the the directing branch votes on best yeah. director. Six hundred dudes. So yeah. there, it is a, <laughs> like four, there is a slightly different dudes audience. and one hundred fifty yeah. ladies. Um, Whereas everyone votes on best picture. So actually, the fact that they do line up, mm-hmm. you know, because sometimes you get best directors where the movies aren't nominated yeah, okay. or vice yeah. versa. Yeah. Well, and that's always the the backlash against doing snubs and surprises. Which, by the way, we're always going to do snubs and surprises. Yes. Yeah. And, I, and by the away. way, but, I use snubs as a shorthand. I, I recognize that a snub is actually like a, a deliberate act. But right. Like, yeah. right. You're but, not yeah. voting against something when you right. vote at yeah. the Academy right. Awards. You're voting but it's, for something. But that's, it's, it's shorthand now. You're right. It's, yeah. it's, it's what people are searching for. As someone for. who always has to write the snubs and surprises <laughs> yeah. column, sure. I just It's like when people it. say trials and tribulations. It's Don't ever use it. But like <laughs> – you know, it, it snubs is something that people understand, but it but, was. But, but there are the people who who are like, well, then who would you take out? Like, you know, what were these really snubs if if everything else was better? Mm-hmm. But you know, you could argue that all day. It's semantics yeah. at that point. You can't take them out. No. So maybe maybe you do twenty nominations. No. Every so, no. Stop. No. Stop. So, stop. Here, stop. Michael, <laughs> do, do I hate you, you right know. now. Well, <laughs> well, you know, I've been pushing is, the ten the, in the Emmys for a long yes, time, and you know? I think we are where we need to be. My my fear is always that the Academy overreacts to something and they think we need to like expand to six or ten and I, for director. And I'm going to say no, 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 no. Don't do this it. This is the way to do it. You're fine. We don't need to. 
it's going to be it's not a good idea if anyone's telling you i know you're listening to this right now academy don't do don't it don't do it keep it i like straight 10 I people were like oh then go back to 5 no i like straight 10 also i actually like because, 5 but I, I think <laughs> you know what's funny i think we have 5 no way barbie's top 5 Barbie really? definitely misses. And the BAFTA five would have been our five. Anatomy, Holdovers, Killers, uh, Poor Things, and Oppenheimer. And Oppenheimer. A little yeah. film called Oppenheimer. The, the, indie <laughs> film, the indie film. Yeah, I'm curious to see what the five would that, have been. That would have been the five. five. Blazer would have been the lone director for sure. A news hit I did fairly recently where I said, like, look, at you know, it may seem strange that, you know, Greta Gerwig was overlooked in her category, but there's five director slots and ten best picture slots. And someone did a voiceover saying that, I said the answer was to expand Best Director to 10. And I was like, anyone who knows me knows that that's that not what I did. Right. So I have a question then. Does I think you said it the other day on a news hit that you did. Um, what happens with Best Actor and Paul Giamatti and Killian Murphy? Well, I think the the, the big categories are like – because oh, someone was telling me this today and I hate – I don't like putting it out in the ether that we know something, but – I feel like we know there's such like a feeling maybe not since Slumdog Millionaire that we know picture and director and who the winners are in that category. So it's kind of like not since La La Land. We've been so yeah. sure. <laughs> but, but even but even La La Land was still like there was still a que- there were still some questions because yeah. because people nope. saw I, I I didn't think it was a run- I thought La La Land was going to win, but I didn't think it was a runaway. So the fact that it upset was expensive. Not that surprising. Well, it won for about, you know, a uh, minute 20, or two. I for felt, 25 seconds. I'll tell you where I felt that shift at the Spirit Awards. Because I remember mess- I was still with the Awards Daily and mm. I messaged Sasha Stone. Mm. and We can I- bleep out the name of the other site, right? <laughs> <laughs> as long as we can uh, shit all over them. Yeah, yeah. That, but I was like, I think Moonlight is going to win Best Picture. Like, that was the shift. There, was there were some people who ether. saw that. And, and, but here, and this is the big difference between La La Land and this. Um... And why I don't think anything can beat Oppenheimer. We all knew what number two was the year of La La Land. Yes. No one can agree on what number two is. And my rule has always been if we can't agree on what number two is, then there is no number two. It's just number one. What is your number two right now? Right, I think right, it's anatomy. Right now I say poor things. And oh, I think yeah, like you're right. but mm. I think but like but by the way, you told me anatomy, because I'm like, anatomy's probably gonna win maybe like an Oscar or two, screenplay. like yeah, I th- yeah, I think it might win screenplay. I think Sandra is a dark horse to come up the middle. That's so, what a lot of people are saying. Yeah. Yeah. Watch, watch out for BAFTA. This, I think BAFTA could. This BAFTA. actress race is a little more fluid than I, I, think, people I have. Think. I have said if depending on what happens at SAG, if Lily wins SAG, whatever happens at BAFTA makes it a race. I think no matter what. I think if Lily wins SAG and Sandra wins BAFTA. That's just going to tell me it's not Emma. Right. It's interesting. Um, I, I don't know. I hear from a lot of SAG voters, boy, they really love Emma Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also like Lily. So it's I'm and, very and, curious and, to see how and that And SAG out. loves to I, – I heard this the year of Rami Malek, that SAG loves to vote for people who lived the dream, who mm-hmm. made it after so long. They stayed with it. And they love to reward that story. Well, they love like they love when an actor feels like one of them. Yeah, yeah. feels like and Lily is like and that's not saying that Emma hasn't been a working actor, but they've also given her one already for mm-hmm. La La Land. So Lily is like, oh, you know, it's a way to do she, it. By the way, it is her like last 
opportunity to win something because she's not nominated at BAFTA. If they really want to reward someone sort of salt of the earth who is really one of them, though, Annette Benning is right there. So I was talking about that with someone also that they – SAG is king of doing – we weren't around during the early days when we probably would have given you one for the grifters. So we do one now later in careers. Why Denzel won for fences mm-hmm. in a lot of ways because they weren't around for glory and they didn't give it to him for training day. But they had given it to Annette before for American That's right. Beauty. That's right. They were convinced yeah. us that she was going to win that year and then she didn't. So she could. Swanked, we call that. She got swanked. She got swanked. Twice, by the way. I know. <laughs> Double swank. And Dean Julia was the last time she was nominated, mm-hmm. right? 30 years for Jodie Foster, by the way. Yeah, I saw Nell. that. That's Which, by the way, Jodie Foster won 30 years ago for Nell. At, for Nell at the yes, segments? We, om- we don't know how close we got to a three-time Academy Award winner. Jodie Foster. And I love Jodie Foster, but Nell I would have been very upset about. Because that's also just not a good lineup that year. It's like Jodie Foster. Jessica Lange's second Oscar is there for Blue Sky. It's just not a great was... lineup. Which leads us to True Detective. Night <laughs> <laughs> it's she a TV looks, show. Looked, by the way, I Corpsicles. Have, love so, those corpsicles. So I just yeah. started the first episode. Jessica is two episodes ahead of me. And she is having trouble with it right now for some reason. She said she's like, it's not like getting me. Like I'm not staying invested. So I was like. I was like, give it a minute. It, does it start slow for anyone else? Or like, was it like right away you guys knew? I'm with I was pretty hooked. You are hooked from the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. I was Actually, no. I think I was hooked from the opening of episode two. Oh. Yes. Yeah. And then yeah. I was like, oh, boy. And then anything that was thrown at Disturbing. me, I was like. Yeah, see, episode yeah. one, I was like, I, 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 mean, I, like, it so, I like it. I mean, I like it so far. I mean, it's just interesting that Jessica's like, I'm not as much into this as I thought I would be. No, I can, I can see that, though, because, I mean, it is disturbing, it is slow at times, and it gets... There's a lot of characters you have to keep yes. track of. I'm actually doing my second watch now. And there's a lot yeah. of the, the supernatural elements of it, which too, which some so, people don't. See, yeah. oh, and that's what... So. She doesn't like the supernatural. She, she likes straight-up cases and right. which, murder. Which I kind of <laughs> get. You know, some people are like, no, I want this to have specific answers and not be sort of like, you well, know... Kick them on over to Fargo, because that was an awesome... Awesome season. Fargo was so fantastic. Although that was pretty surreal and had its own supernatural elements too, I guess. Sort of, but, you know, always still grounded in the quirkiness of of Fargo. The man's 550 years old. Yeah. Like... (laughs) But yeah. Jodie is phenomenal in True Detective. She's so and good. Oh, God. Some uh, limited series actress is going to be such a bloodbath at the end. Limited series to... period is wild. Like, this is the year to expand to 10. If TV Academy, Stop if you're listening, Stop. they should. Or, or eight. Like, it, 10. Like, 10. Let's just do it to I 10. I like 10 all around. But, 10 all around. Or if you're not going to do 10, then just do eight. If you do eight for comedy and drama, do eight for limited. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep it uniformed. So I want to go back real quick to Emma Stone again yeah. because I uh, have never seen uh, – what are you showing each Sorry, other? Sorry. <laughs> an article just broke about Margot Robbie talking about how like don't be sad. Oh, don't be sad. Oh, yeah. Don't yeah. be sad. Just be happy that it happened. Yeah. But you heard it here second <laughs> because by the time this comes out <laughs> – They would have heard it yeah. if uh, – She said there's no way to feel sad when you know you're this blessed. Uh, but so Emma Stone was just on Stephen Colbert, and he gave her a Jeopardy quiz. Yes! So the the long tail of your interview with her. I I have said publicly, and I'll say it again. I swear to God, if she gets on Jeopardy, 
I better be invited you to better the be. taping. Yeah. I just want to be there. I'm not asking for any at, mention. <laughs> I just need no, to be at, there. At least she should mention. By the oh. way, if if she wins the Oscar, she should thank Variety's <laughs> Award Circuit Podcast. <laughs> for, for, for that Jeopardy thing. Yeah, because Je- that's really like she's, – she's really like riding that wave right now. Does she know the Jeopardy question, by the way? Did, did she get it right? Uh, I didn't finish uh, watching. Oh, okay. oh my God, Michael! Why would you bring up that story? And I, I have very, I have very Select short it. attention span. <laughs> I was like, okay, I see, I see them sitting there. Good enough for me. Click. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is interesting. I'll bring this up on the podcast, but let's not see how it turns out. Yeah. Click. I took the Jeopardy quiz once, by the way, uh, and I also did not hear because you'd never know how you did. But those things are hard. No, no. And They're by the so way, hard. Celebrity Jeopardy recently is not the Celebrity Jeopardy of my day, where it was like, you know, what color is this? <laughs> of my day, when, like. Janelle's <laughs> like, getting constant calls, to be honest. No, no, no. Right. I mean, like, when we would make fun no, I know, of how yeah. Jan- Janelle was on are. Magician Jeopardy. Magi- <laughs> <laughs> hey, I would ace the magician category. Would you? Oh, I think Do I you know would. tricks yourself? I do, a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Do you? Yes. I know, like, two or three card tricks. Haven't you noticed I'm disappearing? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Actually, fun and, fact, true story. The guy that Jessica was with before me was also a magician. I did know that. <laughs> yeah. I remember we talked we made about fun this. Of this. Yes. Yes. <laughs> no, well, in when I'll I was never doing the play, it. I had to come up with a magic trick every week for the characters <laughs> to do. And sometimes I would just straight out cheat. Like I'd get a deck of cards that was like all two of hearts. So like when an audience member picked it, and then she'd like tear open her shirt and there was a two of hearts on it. So I did like really cheap tricks that I can't way. But believe there were a few things. You yeah. and Jessica are people. Like <laughs> survived these. Hard to believe dark I'm days. single, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh, but you were a Jeopardy, Emma. Oh, you finished yeah. your story. That was it. Yeah, yeah. No, he didn't have <laughs> no, a point. It was, to it that. was an incomplete story. I will go back and watch the rest of that. But Emma clip. Stone uh, also might be. I mean, I'm, a lot of Oscar crossovers. Emmy, yeah. Emmy crossovers this year. Emma, Jody, uh, Davine, maybe for Only Murders if she gets to come on in with Meryl. She, she yeah. would be uh, in the guest category. If you I don't, I don't know if she was in less than fifty percent. She's only been in. Yeah, that's one where you'd have to almost take a stopwatch and yeah. see. Tell me because they the, changed the rule. The pick yeah. with triplets is eligible for best song. It has to be, right? I think so, uh, right? Yeah. God, that thing is such an earworm. Well, I, I, I got to be submissions, right? You know when you're not expecting – I don't know why I wasn't expecting, but I was at the Emmy party and I was talking to a friend of mine and Steve Martin and Martin Short just walked up to us because they know my friend. And I was like, oh – I wasn't prepared to see these two men, and I have nothing to say to yeah. them. And all I could think of was, I just sort of, I think I just blurted out, "Pick which triplets," <laughs> because I just I sing that song all the time. It's, it's such, such an earworm. Yeah. 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 And then I reminded Steve uh, Martin of the time he did a Q and A with us on Zoom, and he showed up holding a banjo. But then he refused to play the banjo, and I'm like, "That is Chekhov's banjo. It? You can't show up with right. a banjo and not play it." Uh, what was his reason? He was like, oh, it doesn't work over Zoom. And I was like, but you showed up. You came on camera with, with a banjo. banjo. You owed it. It, it. It's like Play he was it. taking a pause. He was just yes. like practicing the banjo and then quick did oh, a Zoom oh, interview. Oh, pardon me. Yeah. You caught me in the middle of practice. Oh, hello. <laughs> yeah. That's totally what it was. Yeah. And then I also remember he kept complaining that he didn't hear people laughing. And Martin Short was just roasting him constantly. He's like, there's a reason for that, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> He, they're so funny. Yeah, no, oh, so great together. Them. I'm looking forward to this uh, TV season, though. Ahead, I mean, there's going to be it's a lot of question marks. And that um, <laughs> Abbott trailer, by the way, exclusive. Oh, uh, so good. Re- revealed by Mike Schneider. That the, I did watch the, all the way the, through because yeah. it was so good. See wait, that that wait, held my wait, attention. You watched the first episode. You saw the no trailer. the trailer. Oh, the trailer. Oh, okay, I was like, you saw an episode. No, Jeremy no, we, Allen Black. Jeremy is Allen all Black. over every. The, there's a joke in oh, the yes. trailer 
where uh, Janelle James calls <laughs> yeah. Tyler James really Jeremy Allen yeah, Black. Because Tyler's and, got guns. Yeah, he's, and, he's it's, guns. and it's fantastic. Yeah. I just, season. I'm in love with Mr. Johnson. Oh, can I yeah. tell my – I've been dying to tell this story. I was going to write about it and then I ended up not, so I could just tell it to you now. I witnessed at the Critics' Choice Awards, I was sitting with Leonardo DiCaprio and behind our table was Abbott Elementary. And I witnessed Janelle James walk up to our table and go to Leonardo DiCaprio and say – you need to come on our show. And he laughed. He went, no, you, I'm serious. Come do TV for a little while. It's fun. And then Lisa and Walter follows up and goes, he should do it. He'd make a great nephew. He looks Italian. He can play my nephew. <laughs> oh. And I was witnessing it. I was like, I was waiting for him to say, okay, call. Like, he doesn't say, he just laughed and never said anything. But I'm putting that out there now. Leo needs to do Abbott Elementary. Oh my gosh, I that suspect happen. that that happens to Leo 20 times a day oh. where someone comes But not, yeah, but not the best happen. comedy on television. And the best comedy, I'm really yes. emphasizing comedy. Well, he's waiting for the Growing Pains reboot. Right? <laughs> hey, he, hasn't, he hasn't done TV since Growing, Growing Pains, Pains, right? He's, he only did one TV yeah, show. I think so, right? Uh, no, he, uh, he made a little cameo on Saturday Night Live when Jonah Hill hosted. Oh, uh, yeah. He never uh, hosted SNL. No. Funny, he has not. Paul Giamatti hasn't uh, hosted in twenty years since. Yeah, I was Sideways. thinking about that the other day because I remember when he hosted, and yeah, this week is IO. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah, IO's gonna be great. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Um, hopefully. hopefully. So, so uh, yeah, so finishing that thought, uh, Oppenheimer all day. Is that why we have nothing to well, say? Well, well, well <laughs> next week is uh, the end of DGA voting, which is going to – the DGAs are before the Oscar luncheon. So we'll probably already know that uh, Nolan's going to win director. So there's your prediction. Nolan wins DGA. Is there anybody in spot two that could take it? Well, someone was like, well, what if like, you know, this backlash for Barbie like gets uh, people voting for Greta? I'm like – it works that way, does it? it, it? it not yeah. for DGA, anyway. If, listen, if Greta won DGA, then I'd be like, oh, snap. I think Barbie is about to pull this off in picture, and there'll be a split. But I'm not going to say that yet. It would be appropriate to have a Barbenheimer split. Not, <laughs> that would not be the split that would that I think people would like. <laughs> By people, I mean the Oppenheimer folk. They, I think they almost rather Nolan lose director <laughs> and win picture <laughs> than have it be the other way around. But, I love how amused you are. Like, I know because it would just be, it would be it's it's such a funny thought. But funny things happen at the Oscars things all the time. Sometimes about. people win Oscars and then immediately are proven that they re- they read the wrong envelope. Ugh! I just think of um people who like maybe I call it norbiting yourself out of an Oscar the year that Eddie yeah. Murphy looked poised to win for Dreamgirls and, and then, then all Norbit. those posters of Norbit were all which over I don't town. buy. Yeah, I don't, I don't really buy that either argument. because uh, you could say the same for Eddie Redmayne and what was that movie where he's Jupiter's really Ascending? Thank you. Yes. I think yeah. Yeah, I love that you knew what I was talking I, about. I, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was like, I think it's, I think it's a. Uh, a Wachowski produced thing. I think they directed it. Or direct, they? or or mm-hmm. they directed. I wasn't sure. Yeah, but yes, it's very uh, similar yeah. to that. There's there's a long list of. I yeah. do that. You know, as much as I love Alan Arkin's win for Little Miss Sunshine, and can't really argue with it. That that Dreamgirls performance of Eddie Murphy is just one of the best things I've ever seen. Well, I think that's Jackie Earl Haley's Oscar. Actually, I love little for children. Little Children. I love Little Children. Remember I Will Smith. Children. <laughs> I do remember Will Smith. Yeah, whatever Smith. happened to that guy? I mean, he's got a movie this year. What is it? Bad Boys Four. I think it's this oh, year. Oh yeah, I meant an Oscar movie. I hear it slaps. Yeah, I was, I yeah. was waiting, waiting. I knew that was I think, coming. I think it's this year. Yeah, it should be. The, yeah. Listen, I don't know if anyone's looked at the year ahead. Year ahead. 
like it's it's kind of like Emmy mode. Is like yeah. we're gonna find contenders. Oh, so Bad Boys Four is yeah, uh, Oscar. Bad Boys Four. Uh, yeah, we yeah, laughed. Remember we adapted screenplay. I mean, listen, Top Gun Maverick. I didn't yeah. do that early on, and then it did what it did. Mike, have you seen any movies this week? Oh yeah. Uh, I'm in TV mode right now. Okay. So. Oh, so I'm done watching he's movies. Done with us, yeah. I'm done with what, film. What did you watch? I'm done with film. Uh, you know, I went back and I finally watched uh, Telemarketers, the the doc series. Oh. That was really interesting. Because mm. uh, I did a doc uh, a panel this week uh, with the HBO folks uh, down at uh, Real Screen uh, in New Orleans. And so really enjoyed it. Uh, really fantastic. I watched uh, American Nightmare finally. Oh, my yeah. God. Oof. Oh, and I'm really excited to watch this We Are the World doc that just came out. On oh, Netflix. yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like that's literally, yeah. I think, my yeah. my viewing tonight because yeah. I'm so excited for that. And I hear it's so right. good. So so there you go. Picks to click and Oppenheimer. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. After the break, we talked to maestro cinematographer Matthew Libatique. From Los Angeles, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. And we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast, and I'm Michael Schneider. Writer, director, and actor Bradley Cooper began working on Maestro years before the film went into pre-production. One person he turned to early on in that process was his collaborator on his directorial debut, cinematographer Matthew Libatique. The cinematographer, whose credits include Oscar nominations for Black Swan and A Star is Born, now has one for Maestro as well. Libatique says he has seen Cooper evolve over the years as they swap ideas and references and brainstorm over their collaborations. Variety's Artisans editor Jazz Tanke recently spoke to Libatique to hear his process for shooting one of the most emotional scenes in the film, the Thanksgiving scene where Felicia finally confronts Leonard over his late nights away from home. Well, the scene that uh, uh, at Thanksgiving was one of the... One of the sort of most emotional scenes in the film. It, it really uh, culminates, or not culminates, but it sort of is the punctuation to a life lived between the two of them. And it sort of propels them into the next phase of their life. So uh, what happens previous is a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> they get to a point where they sort of have at it with each other at that point. Um, and they're going to town on each other. I mean, they're, she's insulting him, he's insulting her. And it's just a very intense, well, not maybe not insulting, but they're really digging into each other very hard. So I knew it was going to be super emotional. And, uh, you know, and very similarly to shooting a love scene, you want to give the actors as much space to work as possible. Um, so I guess I have the same lighting concept for love and hate. I guess you could say that. But the, um, the, what proceeded directly before the scene is basically, uh, a performance at the Kennedy Center where, uh, we're finally getting to see something that Lenny composed that he wasn't conducting. And, uh, they're sitting in a box and he's holding his boyfriend's hand net right next to Felicia and Felicia clocks this. And, and, and I think that's where that was the last straw. And the very next scene, she's packing his things and she throws his slippers and his pajamas outside their hotel room into their little, uh, living room in the, in the, in this, in this suite. And uh, he's sleeping on this couch. And then the next time we see them together, it's Thanksgiving and he's late. So, uh, you know, that leads to a conversation about their whole lives uh, on Thanksgiving. And um, 
you know, probably one of the most emotional parts of the film. Yeah. Well, you know, Bradley is, this is your second collaboration with him. Um, what conversations did you have, just going back a bit further, like, you know, what conversations did you have with him leading up to the project about how you were going to shoot Maestro? We started so early. I mean, the minute he told me about it, he was excited about uh, jumping into lensing. He wanted to get technical. He wanted to learn more about focal lengths, optics. He wanted to test with me. And uh, we ended up shooting multi a multitude of tests in sort of the four years, five years prior to actually starting uh, pre-production on the film. Uh, mainly because what we wanted to do, what Bradley really wanted to do was sort of uh, figure, crack the code on the makeup, how he was going to physically transform into Lenny. Lenny, And uh, working with Kazu, uh, we, we just, we started, we started in one place and we just kept shooting. I mean, we have about a 40 minute proof of concept right now that ha is all the tests that we shot and we would shoot actual scenes. And, and through this process, we were, we were learning about the lenses that we liked. We were learning about the format that we liked. He was getting familiar with what he wanted. He felt the film should be. I think it's through this process of being able to get it on its feet and photograph it that sort of contributes is actually defines the film and the attitude of the film. It's always trying to make things better. And I think as a director, that's one of his trademarks for me. You mentioned uh, lenses and cameras like, you know, especially the film spans several decades for this particular sequence. Like what camera and lenses did you feel even like also like the camera, the film stock and aspect ratio, um, did you like want to use in capturing this important emotional moment? Well, the, in terms of the equipment that we were using specifically camera, I mean, we, uh, as I said before, we, we did a multitude of tests. So we shot from, uh, Aria Alexa to Red to Sony to, uh, Aria 65. You know, we shot monochrome cameras because we knew we were going to do some black and white, but it wasn't until we shot film in 35 millimeter that the one scene that we shot sing and it sort of, it, it just blew everything else out of the water in terms of the aesthetic of what we we're trying to achieve. So, Bradley really responded to it. I really responded to it. We shot some black and white, um, uh, with a, uh, at the time it was, um, a Panavision Millennium XL2, which is what we used on the film with, uh, uh, Mark II lenses, which came from Panavision. And we shot with, um, 5222, which Kodak, Kodak's only black and white stock. So that ended up becoming the thing we were going to do for a third of the movie. And then, we knew we were going to go to color. We, we, we fell in love with the aspect ratio. So we kept it in one, three, three sort of, I like to think that that frame, because it's a square is kind of an embrace to the characters, especially the two of them as a couple. Um, and then when he's alone at the end of the film, after Felicia passes away, it expands out to one, eight, five and that embrace is gone. So, um, uh, but with all those things, again, it was just sort of, it, a study. We were studying what Lenny was supposed to look like, studying how to get him there, and we were studying how we were going to make the movie look. And it looks so beautiful. I mean, was with this scene, was this always going to be a wonder? Like, was that the converse, like, what conversations did you have about 
you know, from script, looking at how, you know, it was in the script to bringing that to life on screen. I mean, the fight scene, you know, anytime you get into a situation where it's really uh, emotional and, you know, it's a pivotal scene in the film and it's a scene that propels you to the next phase of the movie, it's, you know, there's a certain amount of anxiety. So I think the natural inclination is to think you're going to shoot a lot of coverage and then and then you're going to piece together performances. But, you know, we had Carrie Mulligan and it was like, a, you know, she was like a secret weapon in the film and then Bradley uh, being so, so like able to direct and act within a scene and respond to another character. You know, the first thing he wanted to do was get it on his feet in a wide. So this is what we did. The scene actually started with her sitting in the chair that's in front of her in the scene that's in the movie. She sat there, he came in, sat down and it was the three people sitting in a wide shot and it just wasn't happening in scene one. Something compelled her to get up in the second take, and she she stayed uh, at the window. And then uh, the third take, she was at the window at the very beginning of the scene. That's what you see in the film. And it was so intense, and the pacing was so real. They're cutting each other off and responding to what each other's saying. There's no. It felt like there was no dialogue. And I think he was Bradley. We actually took a lens of viewfinder after we shot that. He thought he had it. He had the scene. Um, the tone of it, the emotional uh, aspect of it, and the performances on both ends were fantastic. And we were sort of lensing up her side of the coverage. And he just looked at me and said, I don't, how are we going to do that? How are we going to cut in their performance? So that was, that, so the, the single shot aspect was born out of the greatness of their performances. It wasn't planned. Yeah, that's so amazing. And also, like, you know, what I love about it is, you know, when we're watching it, You've got the incredible set by Kevin Thompson. You've got the incredible costumes by, you know, Mark Bridges. Um, talk about, like, the framing of, you know, working, first of all, working with, with those two departments and those incredible department heads and those conversations you had about what the color, you know, yeah, what the color would be and then just also conversations with, that you had with Bradley about the whole that whole the whole look of that. Well I have to say that the the color portion of the film, when I, when I talk about the, like that collaboration between Mark Bridges in costumes and Kevin Thompson in production design, I mean color is the first thing that comes to mind. We knew what period it was going to be and they had to make choices of what people you know, Mark had to make choices on um, what people wore. Um, what the characters wore and Kevin had to make choices on things that were in the set and things that were personal to make things lived in and um, as well as the sort of but he was replicating spaces that we have to imagine existed in that time so he was sort of beholden to reality but the one thing I have to say about the two of them and something that we really worked on together was the color when I was presented the palette um, I don't think that Without the, I don't think that the color photography would be as successful if it wasn't for the choices made by both of them in terms of finding hues, uh, actual saturations and colors that spoke to the time period. You know, I, I, I get credit for the photography, but it really was the color that was placed before me. So um, I'm just grateful to have that experience working with both of them. Yeah. Let's talk about the parade, because... You know, what's so fascinating is this 
subjective view where, you know, you've got this white shot on two incredible performances and then in the background you've got the parade. And that scene is kind of bookended with this conversation about Snoopy and then it ends with the Snoopy float. Like, talk about that visual and what's happening <laughs> in the background. Um, it's funny when you're shooting a scene, you know you're going to graduate to this emotional one and it begins with who left Snoopy in the vestibule. And the whole thing begins that way and it's his day. Um, it was inspired by Bradley and I saw this photograph by Elliot Erwitt. Uh, it was taken in a Dakota apart- apartment in the Dakota building, which is where they lived. I don't know if it was actually in Leonard Bernstein's apartment, but it was in an apartment that saw, you see in the photograph, you see Snoopy behind. And the two people who are in the shot, a child and a woman, don't, aren't even paying attention. So that sort of, that was like this, I don't know, it was just a good joke. Something light to put in the mix. It's like pouring, you know, oat milk in a really strong coffee, you know? Uh, and I think that's something Bradley toys with. You know, and he was, he, he, he was, you know, we're focused on where we're going to put Snoopy at the beginning of the scene because he knew he wanted to use Snoopy as a punctuation at the end of it. So, uh, you know, it's just, again, it wasn't something that we knew we were doing three weeks ago. I mean, the Snoopy part, yes, but like exactly where Snoopy was going to be, uh, at the beginning of the scene was, you know, those things are created moments before we shoot them. How was that achieved? Was that all, was that an LED? That's a good question. Uh, we, we had a backing made by Roscoe. Roscoe does amazing backdrops now and they, they photographed the surrounding area of the Dakota apartment that we wanted to replicate. Um, and then we, so we had a backing there that was, uh, a day backing of Central Park. And then Snoopy was actually digitally placed in, um, in between the reality of the set and the reality of the backing. I, I mean, I love that, you know, that whole scene is, is so powerful. But I mean, talk about, you know, your experience of doing these, you know, these, these one shots or the long takes in the past and like how that helped you get this, you know, just to like not even move the camera, right? Like your past experience. I mean, it's rare. I think that, you know, we're Americans. <laughs> we always move the camera. We're Americans. We always cut. I mean, it's very rare for us to hold on a shot. I mean, there's a handful of people who do that. David Lynch and Jim Jarmers are the only ones who really come to mind. Um, but if you go uh, abroad, all, you know, half the people do it. And you watch films, you watch an Eastern European film, the camera never moves. And if it does, it's just getting you, I mean, it's bare, it's imperceptible, you know? So, one thing I thought was interesting about working with Bradley is that, and what he was after, uh, in terms of those compositions, it's like we're brought in by the performance. And then, you know, there's a scene where we're looking through some, um, the yard through this, uh, sort of tunnel of vines and they're sitting near the pool and there's a fence in between camera and them. You could barely, you could see them, but you know, can't see all of them. And they're having this deep conversation where they're having a little bit of a quarrel about Tommy. Um, Bradley just wanted to play it there. You know, like we're not supposed to hear the conversation, but we're hearing the conversation. And it's like, he did that time and time again. And it sort of felt, you know, uh, it followed suit with that fight that ended up being a a wonner. But, you know, doing some of these scenes like that prior gave him the confidence to do it then. So it was just, it, I think just a confidence in the, 
it's fun to work with somebody who has confidence in the performance. Yeah, I love that. I also love the way the whole scene is lit. Like, you know, you've got obviously the parade happening outside and one window is in shadow, you know, is in shadow and then the other one there's this little tiny, you know, sunlight thing coming in and it's reflecting the floor. Like, talk about the lighting setup. And- well, the lighting of that scene was is um, a lot of, uh, a lot coming from the windows. We saw 20Ks. I had a 20K uh, tungsten Fresnel in each window to replicate the sunlight. Um, and I had a, uh, I had a sky panel 360, which is a big LED soft unit underneath the one, uh, that the 20 K that was, um, sort of lighting her window on the left of frame. But that, that was there so that, uh, Bradley would, I mean, Lenny would get some light when he was standing in that position in front of the bar. And then when you look at the right side window, I had, um, I, I had rigged moving lights above the set and I just used them to bounce do some subtle bounces and that one bounce you're talking about there's in the right of frame it looks like the sun's coming in and creating a glow that's actually a mover from above the set that's sort of bouncing there and i had a little bit of light a little bit of uh, reflective material to sort of give him a little edge light on his back to define him from the, the dark background of the the bar uh and that's that's really it and then smoke lifted the shadows of the scene so that i didn't have to put any real key light on on Felicia. Yeah. Um, let's go into the color correction process. Like, you know, talk about that a little bit. I mean, the color correction process with Bradley and I is very, um, it's pretty streamlined because we don't do a whole lot, but, you know, uh, match and work on, uh, the, the matching from cut to cut scene to scene, you know, uh, the film, both films that we've done together, Stars Born and Maestro, Bradley's, uh, the cut has altered from the script that we shot. So, you know, really the only thing we really do in the, in the DI and the color session is actually fine tune those moments of transition between one cut to another because things have changed. But, um, what we shoot is basically what we put on at the end. So our dailies are more important than anything, but, you know, obviously we have a great colorist in Stefan Sonnefeld who makes sure we don't, you know, slip up. <laughs> I love that. Just, you know, talking a little bit about like cinematic influences and references, like, you know, you mentioned a painting at the beginning or a photograph. Like, did you look at anything else as far as like, you know, these are films where people have had, our, you know, where couples have had arguments and, like, you know, she, the woman's finally had it or the guy's finally had it, like, or, you know, did you look at paintings? Like, talk a little bit about I mean, I, you know, it's funny. I, uh, the older you get and the longer you do this, you have this library in your head. It's like a, it's like an Apple album in your head of the images that you're always going to gravitate to, you know. And I knew it was a period movie, so I, I, for me, I, Bradley and I didn't really pour over that many references, to be quite honest. I mean, we talk about movies, we talk about what we don't like, but visually to be inspired, it was, you know, I love Elliot Erwitt and the black and white. I like, I like the black and white photographers more than I, I enjoyed, um, more than I enjoyed the, uh, black and white films, you know. The nothing, I did a whole album of black and white films from Manhattan to, uh, Night of the Hunter and none of them really applied to me. So I, um, 
and Ida. And that also didn't apply to me. So it was hard to find what I wanted to do. Although all those movies are absolutely gorgeous. So I was, I wanted to, my template was still photography. It was Elliot Erwitt, Roy De Carava, uh, Saul Leiter. And, um, and this one book, uh, that Bradley turned me on to called The Life and Times of Leonard Bernstein, which was shot and photographed by John Gruen, where he hung out with the, uh, the Bernstein family in Italy on one of their holidays and interviewed everybody and photographed them candidly. And I thought that was, that's kind of, how I would approach the movie. Yeah. Um, looking back, it is, you know, I mean, it, anybody that watches the film, you know, it is one of the most talked about scenes. It's like the, the beating, it's like the heart of the film. How do you feel the scene came out now that you've had time to let it? The You're talking about the fight? Yes. I mean, the fight scene turned out better than I ever would have hoped. I, I again, I'm uh, as a cinematographer, you want all the shots to be right. You know, the shot you want to achieve the look that you envisioned and what the director's after. But I was completely blown away with the level of performance. You know, just the ferocity that she had, frustration, and uh, you know, she made the great actors make dialogue work and make dialogue feel like they're coming out of real people. And that's what happened in the scene. So I'm very proud of it, but I'm proud of them more specifically. Was there a moment in that scene? Cause I was reading that script yesterday just to revisit it. And you know, like that scene where, or that line where she said, you know, your truth is a fucking lie that sucks up all the energy, you know, in every room. Like, that moment just gives me chills. Like, talk about being behind the camera, and you've sort of touched on this, but, like, is there a line or, like, a moment where you just got goosebumps? I mean, that one is a really good one. What is it? It's a... Your truth is a lie that sucks the energy out of every room and everybody or something like this, right? But that... that, um, I mean, it's painful to watch, but it was all, but I was in each and every take, I was waiting for that line because it was my favorite part of the scene. <laughs> so <laughs> in a weird way, I don't know if that's masochistic or what, but the, it, uh, I, uh, I, because I, mean, I just love the flow of the scene. I mean, it was like music, those two back and forth, back and forth, him defending himself and her finally, finally, like for the first time in the whole movie, we see her absolute frustration with the man. Uh, and you feel like she can't take it anymore, you know. So yeah, I mean, it was by that, that moment right there. Is there's a couple great ones in this uh, the whole scene actually lines, and I I look forward to hearing them. The only my only regret is we only did it three times. I only got to hear it three times, but now I get to hear it all the time when I just play it back. I love that. Um, so you know, talk like how would you describe? you know, just as one of like the last few questions, like how would you describe that your relationship with Bradley has evolved, you know, over the years and working with him on this in the, you know, capacity where he's, he wears, you know, so many hats and it's just incredible to see the writer, the director, the actor. I mean, you know, the first time we worked together was, you know, the first time you worked with somebody. When I, when I first worked with Bradley, it was just, I'm the DP, he's the director, we're getting to know each other. And we hit it off right away, and it was a, it was a pretty smooth transition into collaboration. 
Um, because of the amount of time between A Star is Born and Maestro and the time that we had together to work and talk about it and test, we got closer. And so there, a trust was, uh, even more trust was built between us as people and within our positions as well. And, um, I think that, uh, you know, you start to gravitate towards friendship if you do more than one film with somebody, you know, and especially when you, you, you're able to accomplish something that is successful and that you're proud of, that friendship gets even more, um, um, uh, fortified. So I think that, and then be, that when you have a friendship with a director, it just becomes easier to discuss things. You're not scheduling time, you know, you're just calling or you're texting or, you know, we could, I could have an idea about, whatever and i can hit him up with it today when i get out of here and he sometimes i'll see a text from him saying oh, this would be a good idea for this and that's what happens when that's the benefit of working with somebody uh, multiple times so i think that's why and he's involved you know i have to evolve because i think a cinematographer has to embody the personality of the director to some degree and as a director evolves the cinematographer must adapt as well so there's that aspect of it that's Oscar nominee Matthew Libatique, the cinematographer behind Maestro, now streaming on Netflix. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Zach Levin edited this episode and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest awards predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Janelle Riley, and Clayton Davis, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.